Turn to Matthew 6. We're going to begin today in verse 25. And I want to read the whole passage. I'm going to read all the way through to uh, through verse 34, but we won't get through all of that today, okay? But I want to read it, and as I read it, I want you to notice how many times the word anxious is used, all right? So get ready to kind of count it just in your mind. Beginning in verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, now who's talking who is I? Jesus, okay. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious. Say it, just say it out loud with me. Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as in what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the fields grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men or people of little faith? Do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what are, with what shall we clothe ourselves for? These things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anxious is a word that simply means to worry. Uh, and this is the theme of the whole passage. All of us have to admit to worry. Let's just go ahead and have confession time. If you ever have, ever will, or do now worry, hold up your hand. If you don't hold up your hand, you are lying in the church. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's honest to say that we've all experienced it. It's been a part of life. And for a lot of people, it's a pastime. You know, you ever know anybody that worries all the time about everything, every day. And so it occupies their thinking for a significant portion of time, day and night. So. You know, we might, here's, here, here's what we're going to say, we're gonna, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. You ever got that one? Or ever said that one, I have. You know, and so we try to give it a better name, but worry is dangerous and harmful, and it is sin. And worry is the same thing as saying, God, I know what you've said, but I just don't think you're going to pull this off. 
you may not can pull the, I, I know what you said, but. And so worry then is sinful because it is distrusting the promises and the character of God. So we worry, and these people that Jesus is speaking to were worriers. They were worrying. And so the literal translation there, beginning in verse 25, when Jesus speaks, he's, he doesn't say, do not be anxious. It literally says, stop being anxious. So they were already doing it, and Jesus knew it. So now remember that in the previous verses, and in, in our past couple of lessons, Jesus has focused on stockpiling treasures. Treasures on earth for selfish reasons. We've talked about that. And so now he's focusing not on luxuries, but on necessities. So now it might be that the first part is directed toward the rich and the second part is directed toward the poor. Some people take it like that, and it may be, we don't know. But each group, whether you're rich or poor, uh, has its own problems. The rich are tempted to trust in themselves and their possessions, and the poor are tempted to doubt God's provision. And so the rich are tempted to become self-satisfied in the false security of riches, and the poor were tempted to worry in the false insecurity of poverty. So whether rich or poor or in between, our attitude toward material possessions is a picture of our spiritual condition. It's a picture of what we really believe about God and what our relationship is to him. So the heart of today's lesson really is stop worrying. Now, y'all don't stop paying attention because you don't want to hear it, okay? Stop worrying even about necessities. And so that's what he's talking about here. Now, we said that this part of the passage could be about the poor, but Jesus could be talking about people who have the luxuries and the people who are stockpiling earthly treasures because it follows verses 19 through 24. There's some continuity. It just depends on... Um, your interpretation of the passage. Um, but people who are rich stockpiling luxuries may be worried about necessities because they're afraid they might run out of them. You know, all different kinds of dynamics. But people sometimes stockpile because we worry about the future. And so this is not about wise planning. This is not about holding on to things that that you truly might need or that God has told you that it is responsible to take care of. Wise planning is good and it's fine to save for the future and it's fine to plan for the future, but it's wrong to worry about those plans. And so verse 25, see what he says when he begins. He says, for this reason. Now, what reason? Look in verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. For this reason, I say to you, stop worrying for your life. So, as Christians, Jesus has just declared that our only master is God. The one and only, the 
the master. He is your master. And so he says, because God is your master, stop worrying. Stop being anxious. And so the point is that when we have the master that we do, nothing justifies our being anxious. Nothing justifies worrying. So look at the next words in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, stop worrying for your life. For your life. The Greek word there has to do with the fullness of earthly, physical, external life in the world. Just life. Everything that we've got going on in life. And so he says, stop being anxious about this world. Now that's where I get conviction. Do you get anxious about the world? Shake your head, yes. And you look, um, there are all kinds of things to be anxious about. And so all of this again is following the content in context. It follows what we've learned in verses 19 through 24. Now, what did we learn in those verses? I just jotted down quickly. Number one, earthly treasures don't last. They're gonna rust, they're gonna have moths, they're gonna get corrupt. So earthly treasures don't last. Then earthly treasures blind our spiritual visions. Remember, that's what he was talking about in verses 22 and 23. When we're so focused on stuff, then we become blinded and insensitive to the commands of the Lord, to the principles of the Lord, and to our spiritual visions. And then number three, he says, you've got to make a choice between God and money. What do you choose? Are you going to choose God to be your priority, or are you going to choose money or things to be your priority? So since earthly treasures do those things, since all of these earthly treasures don't last, they blind your spiritual vision and, you know, they, they will rule your life, then what he's saying is, since they do those things, stop worrying about them. They're not worth worrying about, is what he's saying to us. And so, you know, what is he specifically referring to? And he's going to go on here. He's talking about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. That's what he's got here. Now, why shouldn't we worry about those things? The answer is because God is our heavenly father. Because God is our heavenly father. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. That they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet, I love this next word. If you've got your Bible, what is the next word? Your, your heavenly father feeds them. Whose heavenly father? My heavenly father. Okay? He feeds them. Now look, why would he do that? Birds are not created in God's image. Only people are created in God's image. So birds are not created. They're not heirs with Christ. And so he says, your heavenly father... You are heirs with Christ. You are born into the kingdom. You are created in his image. Now, this doesn't mean, now think about this, don't miss this part. This doesn't mean that if you're a bird, you're going to stand on a limb with your mouth open. I am grateful that I have never seen it rain worms. But a bird's not going to sit on a limb with his mouth open and wait to be fed Birds are built to what? Be able to find 
food. And it's amazing how fast they are at it sometimes, isn't it? Um, they're able to search for food. They're able to build nests. They care for their young. They work hard. They work within the framework of God's design for birds. And so they participate with God's feeding them. And they don't overindulge. Birds don't worry. Isn't it amazing sometimes? A lot of times out the back of my house, we can see birds and Gloria's got feeders out there. Whoever thought I would live, let somebody live in my house that would feed birds. <clears throat> Y'all know, if you've known me for a long time, that birds are not my favorite thing in the world because lots of reasons. There was parakeets across the street. Used to get hung in my hair. My great-grandmother's rooster chased me and I stepped on an Easter chicken one time and squashed him and I just can't <laughs> do feathers. Just don't do it. But if they're on the outside of the house and I can watch them, then I can see God feeding birds. They're beautiful. The things that they find, I threw out a package of zinnias next to the house back in the spring. We've got all these little yellow cardinals and hummingbirds. They just can't wait to get those zinnias and they're tearing them up. But you know what? How do they know where to come? It's the instinct that God has put into them. And so they are a part of God's design. And so if God is saying, if he sustains the life of a bird, will he take care of us? Our job is to take our resources and let God tell us what to do with them. And so many times we leave God out of those decisions. We leave him out of that picture of, okay, God, you've given me this or that. What do you want me to do with it? Do you want me to just hold on to it? Uh, you know, do you want me to use it? Do you want me to spend it? And the key is do what he says. Do what he says with it. So God provides through our efforts. Uh, today in the news, a lot of times we hear, uh, the world's going to run out of resources. Have you ever, have you heard that one? World, the day's going to come when the world's not going to have any food, not going to have any water, and um, it's just going to happen. We're just, it's going to be awful. Some years ago, I read a book on God's economy, and I learned something that I have always remembered, and that is that God is never wasteful. And he has on this earth all of the resources that it's going to take to take care of the earth until he comes to destroy it. We ain't going to run out, okay? That's not what our father is like. That's not what life is like. Um, the interesting thing, an interesting thing I found out when I was reading and studying some of this is that the world could feed every single person in it on the standard of U.S. consumption by using less than 10% of the agricultural land available on the earth. Now, what does that mean? Somebody needs to get out there and plant it and take care of it and reap it and get rid of it. Eat it and get rid of it. So that's not a problem. God is not the problem. And so when God says, I'll provide, he means he will provide. Now, it's like anything else. I, I've used this illustration just for me a lot of times in my life, but if you're going to pour... 
um, milk into a glass. Well, if the glass is here and the pitcher's over here, is it going to do any good? What I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to line that glass up to receive what the pitcher's pouring. We've got to line ourselves up to receive the resources that God has given us. And so it's not that we don't eat. Uh, you know, it's not that we're going to run out of food. Um, provision is available to everybody. But God is only obligated to his children. That's why this phrase here, your father, means so much. So he big question in all of this provision business is, is he your father? Have you been born into the kingdom? Are you committed to him? India has plenty of food to feed its people. And a lot of times when we see pictures of starving people, we'll see pictures of India, but they have plenty of food. They allow sacred cows to eat 20% of all of the people's food. I ain't done. They believe that rodents and rats are reincarnations of their ancestors. So they feed the rodents and rats 15% of their food. So 35% of their food is gone while they starve to death. Now, it's not that they don't have the resources. They just don't have a relationship with a God that puts them in the place of blessing. Their religion destroys them. Their religion starves them to death. It is a false religion where they have been deceived by the enemy and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's where they are. So God's children don't have to worry about food because of our Father. Because of our Father. Look at verse 27. Let's go on. And which of you by being anxious, which of you by worrying, can add a single cubit to his life's span? I can't remember what the King James Bible says there. It doesn't say lifespan, but stature, stature. He's not talking, the original word uh, is not stature. It's better translated lifespan. It's not just talking about your height. A cubit is the distance from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. I wouldn't want to be that much taller. So I'm glad it doesn't say stature, okay? But he says, worrying is not going to fix that. And so he says, which of you by worrying can lengthen your life? Now consider the flip side of that. What is worrying most likely to do to the length of your life? It'll kill you. It'll shorten your life. Um, we live in a day when people do all kinds of things to lengthen their lives. And again, this is not that those things are wrong. It's about balance. It's about balance and trust. And so certainly, stewardship of our bodies and minds and lives is very important. And we want to do things that increase the quality of our lives. Exercise makes our bodies and our minds better. I need to do it more. I need to do it a lot. Um, but 
It doesn't force God to make me live longer if I go up and go, get up and go to the gym every morning at 4.30 and do my thing, and that's going to come before anything else I do. Nothing wrong with going to the gym at 4.30. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can never eat another grain of sugar. And that might be really, really good for my body, but it's not going to lengthen my life because when did God determine the length of my life? Before the foundation of the world. He knew when I was born. Now, do I want to live a quality life for as long as I'm on this earth? Yes. And for that reason, I back off of sugar. Now, I eat some sugar, but I keep telling myself, you know, I could eat a whole lot more than what I eat. And that makes it okay. All right? We're stewards. We're stewards of our body. And so they don't make us live longer, but they do make us good stewards so that we can have a better quality of life for ever how many days the Lord's going to leave us here because we've done those things. We're not going to ignore our bodies. We're not going to destroy our bodies by doing foolish, selfish stuff. Listen, you can worry yourself to death, but you can't worry yourself to life. If we give God our lives and we walk in obedience and fellowship with him, he's going to give us the fullness of our days. How do I know that? He said he would. So the issue, and the issue even in the Old Testament for living a long life, you know what it is? Obedience. We can't replace obedience with doing without sugar and exercising like crazy. We can't replace obedience with those things. Those things may be good, but if they're replacing obedience, we've got a problem. And so obedience with God is the issue and so if we give him our lives and we walk in obedience and fellowship he's going to give us the fullness of days life is a gift from god and he wants our lives to be full you know again there's something in us that makes us kind of bend toward the lie that satan told eve that the pastor talked about i believe last sunday when he said you know, God just knows that in what day you eat thereof, you're going to be like as God's, knowing good and evil. Well, here's the deception. They already knew good. So when Satan said to them, you're going to know good and evil, what he was saying is, look, darling, I'm going to introduce you to evil if you will just eat this tree and when she did and he did what happened fear and nakedness and guilt all of those things and so when God gives us life and he says I want you to have fullness of life when he told Adam and Eve don't eat of this tree it was to protect them not to prevent them from having something it was to prevent them from having the, the outcome of evil. But they thought he was withholding something from them. And sometimes we, we, we bend that way. We sometimes are suspicious. 
that God is holding out on us instead of just submitting to him and letting him do his work in us. But God wants us to have a full life. You know, I get the best New Testament verse I could think of about that is when Jesus says, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I have to stop and ask myself, do I really believe that? Is that the issue for me? Do I believe? So that when I'm walking in obedience and fellowship with him, then what am I doing? I'm positioning myself to receive the abundance of life. So in the Old Testament, I didn't look up the verse. I should have done that. But in the Old Testament, he tells us what lengthens life is obedience. Okay? And then, verse 28. He talks about fashion. And he says, why are you worrying about clothing? You know, some people live for clothes. Now, mind you, I love pretty clothes. I'm having a real hard time finding them these days, you know. But some people just live for clothes. My mother had a friend, this has been 100 years ago. My mother had a friend who would go buy all of these new dresses and hide them in the attic so her husband wouldn't know. And guess what? When she died, where were they? In the attic. My grandmother did that. I did, I've done that. You know, I can't tell you. Y'all remember when you graduated from high school and you got pretty gowns and pajamas and stuff up here from Wilson Clothing Company for high school graduation and you saved them. And 20 years later, I find these things in a drawer my mother's fault and my grandmother's fault. We saved them for later. That's not always a bad thing, you know that. But there's some people who just stockpile clothes. And so in Jesus' day, now, now let's put this in some contact text. If Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, if you were really poor and didn't have any resources, they're talking about streams drying up and the crops don't come and you don't have any money. And I've heard stories from my grandmother about making clothes out of flour sacks. Did you ever get that one? That was such a different day. Look what all we have. Look what all we have. And so Jesus says to these people who are in those kinds of straits, let me tell you about your father. Let me tell you about your father. You know, instead of that today, instead of it being a necessity, you know, today it's, um, I can't wear that. I wore that last week. You know, or that's not in style. What will people think if I put that on? It is not in style. What will people say about me? So clothes become not a necessity, but an identity. So fashion can become an idol. And that's what Jesus is addressing here, I think, for our day. And so he speaks to the issue and he says, look, consider the lilies of the field. Now that word lilies, it's not just a word just for what we know to be lilies. It's really a word that could include all of the wildflowers on the rolling hills that probably were blooming there in Galilee when Jesus was giving the sermon. 
So imagine him saying, look at, look at all these wildflowers. Look at all of these flowers. Consider these flowers. How did they grow? Easily, freely, gorgeously, effortlessly, without worrying. You know, I don't know about you, but I can doll up and be the best I can with whatever I've got and never get close to looking like a flower. So he's giving us here this comparison. So there is real beauty that God can give us that nothing else can give us. And so he's challenging the people with this. Now look, you know this. This doesn't mean look tacky and become some kind of a distraction that makes everybody think that you don't care about yourself or your body. No. Not talking about that kind of stuff. We're not to dress like people would think that we're not honorable to God and that we don't care about ourselves and that we're not taking care of our bodies. He's not saying that. But look at verse 29. When he's talking about the flowers here, he says, Yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. Who was Solomon? The greatest, richest, wisest that the world has ever known, and he could not clothe himself the way these flowers are clothed. So what's he said here? He has said, it's not necessary for you to worry about food or the length of your life or your clothes. Why? Because of who your father is. Because of who your father is. He says, he's going to give us food. He's going to give us clothing. He's going to determine the length of our lives and sustain it. What do I have to do? Connect myself to him. Attach myself to that plan. Buy into, so to speak, what he's saying and what he says he's willing to do for me and Trust it. Your father. You know, two seconds. Um, Edwin and I were talking. You know, there are, we have all kinds of things to worry about. You know, things to, that come to us. You know, and we were talking about what happens when we get old and can't think. And, you know, <laughs> and what are they going to do with us? Probably everybody thought about that one way or another. Where are they going to put me? All right. And those were real, you know. And especially, you know, single, don't have any children, blah, 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 blah. Things change. There are all kinds of dynamics with all of that. But right here, what can I trust? That even in those days of my life, God is still my prompt, my father. And the promises are still true and faithful, no matter what. So my question to you is, what are you worrying about? And I want you to think about that this week. Just notice, because you know what? We have become such habitual worriers that I think we worry when we don't know we're doing it. And so I want us 
to watch our thinking this week and just for you, you're not going to have to tell any of us, what comes to your mind the most? What are you concerned about? You know, what's weighing heavy on your heart? And at what point can you take this to the Lord and lay it to him?